Helo a chroeso i bodlediad yr Academy Genedlaethol ar gyfer arweinyddiaeth a ddysgol yng Nghymru. Podlediad sy'n rhannu materion ac arferion arweinyddiaeth allweddol ar draws y sector addysg yma yng Nghymru ac yn rhyngwladol. Hello and welcome to the podcast from the National Academy for Educational Leadership in Wales. A podcast that shares key leadership issues and practices across the education sector here in Wales and internationally. In this, the third episode of our three-part series, we'll be looking at what actions the report suggests. And to help me, I'm delighted to introduce Dr Ali Davis, Dr Adrian Neal, Chris Lewis and Catherine Thomas. Perhaps you could just begin by introducing yourselves and letting our listeners know what keeps you busy in between recording sessions with the Leadership Academy. Hi Ian, I'm Alice Davis, consultant clinical psychologist um, from Employee Wellbeing and I've had the pleasure of um, exploring this issue and kind of putting together this insight piece under leadership of Dr Adrian Neal and Dr Ben Waits. I'm in a now in Bevan University Health Board and my day job is working with young people in mental health. My name is Catherine Thomas and I'm um, uh, Deputy Head at a school called Preseli, new 3 to 19 school and I've been here since for three weeks now. Um, and before that, I was the head teacher of Ysgol Gymdod Aberydon and I'm um, a cohort three uh, associate with the Leadership Academy. Hello there. Um, name is Adrian Neal. I'm a consultant clinical psychologist. I'm head of employee wellbeing for an Aaron Bevan University Health Board. Uh, I've been working with Ali um, and, and Ben Awaits over the last many, many months. I lose track of how many to support this initiative. Um, I guess my background, um, are, I am I'm a relative newcomer to Wales, so I've been here about eight years, um, but still work across the UK almost entirely within the NHS, although over, over recent months we've branched out to support third sector and uh, the public sector organisation in Wales from our, our hub uh, within Aaron Bevan. Um, I'm also involved nationally with the British Psychological Society's work, particularly my workforce wellbeing, and with the fairly new group, which we're calling the One Voice Group, which is a professional membership group for NHS employees, um, which we represent over 1.2 million people. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting focus group for starting to bring together some of the growing concerns about um, well-being at work, um, most of the themes of which are pretty much echoed uh, across the public sector, and particularly within education and education leadership. So we think there's lots of learning across the sectors to be had here. Brilliant, thanks, Adrian. And Chris? Shemai I'm Chris Lewis, the Assistant Director for Policy and Research at the National Academy for Education and Leadership. Uh, one of the things in my areas that I lead on is uh, what we've identified as the well-being of educational leaders in Wales. And so I'm pleased to be involved in this work and looking forward to building on some of the suggestions for action contained in, in the excellent report. My name's Ian Gerrard. I'm the head teacher here at Eskola Conway, up in Conway, and I'm an associate of the Leadership Academy. Okay, so in uh, in previous editions of this podcast, uh, we spent a bit of time talking about the, the context um, and the rationale behind uh, the development of this report, and also looking at the experience of uh, leaders in, in schools today. Uh, so uh, perhaps we could start this conversation off by just um, considering what uh, the evidence that we've ascertained um, uh, 
during the compiling of this report and reading it, obviously, where that evidence has led us to and what we've discovered from it. Ali, would you like to start us off with that? So we've got a number of um, demands identified under headings that we kind of grouped into demands which were created by the organisation. Some were psychological and then some were social. So we kind of constructed this model where all of the demands that were discussed by senior leaders somehow grouped under those four categories. And from that, we're able to then look further into the resources. So we spoke last time about the demands resource model of of well-being and how um, burnout and exhaustion um, can occur if there are insufficient resources and or too many demands. So in order to meet the demands that are there, we need to think really carefully about the resources. So in this section of the report, we've drilled it down to um, the demands that might meet each of those areas. So it's a complex and um, long-standing multi-layered issue. So no one particular resource will suddenly meet the many um, kind of strands of complexity that senior leaders spoke about. And there needs to be, I guess, a kind of acknowledgement that some resources will be um, required at an individual level. So in the report, we focus on areas such as um, CPD, continuing professional development, and, you know, that idea that in senior leadership, actually, um, you might have a certain layer of unconscious competence in your kind of day job having had a long career but there'll be new areas of conscious incompetence as your role diversifies so it's really important that we're thinking um with senior leaders you know at people every layer of their profession about growth and development and supporting that area we think about performance-based demands so we've got ideas like peer supervision for um triads for leaders senior leaders spoke about wanting to kind of have good relationships with people in other schools, builds up collaboration, has somebody that really understands the role and identifies those day-to-day difficulties within the sector. Um, we've got ideas around a whole leadership programme for compassionate leadership, which has many strands within it. And then I think there are particular smaller parts that relate to well-being, like having dedicated time for certain work issues. Um, There's also a kind of need, I think, identified from the demands around celebrating good practice and also when things go slightly further than not quite okay, but there is psychological therapy as a reactive resource in the moment when things are at crisis level. So we need both a combination of something preemptive and there in the moment when it's needed. Though obviously, I hope it goes without saying, the better we can bake in well-being kind of further upstream, there'll be, there'll be less need for crisis. So those are the individual and then thinking with the system, we've got this um we've got this kind of hope for a national compassionate leadership programme for education, which as I say, I think Chris and Adrian will talk a bit more about. There was in the organisation we kind of highlighted the need for clarity in particular roles that, that came up from senior leaders' ideas, ideas about how to better coordinate maybe the demands um for senior leaders to prioritise that came up a lot in the conversations. Various um, thinking around attention to structures, around recruitment, and in the performance base, we've got this real needs have been identified for greater connection between head teachers and middle tier. That head teachers want to be able to feed up into the middle tier and really hear that the middle tier really understand their role. The psychological demands then for the system more broadly 
um, thought about things like defining exactly what well-being is and looking at what's already out there and uh, evaluating the impact of any intervention that's already there and particular types of consultancy or bespoke senior leadership team support acknowledging it's a very unique role with a number of pressures from different angles and again that real need to celebrate good practice so we came across lots of examples where um, incredible things were happening within schools but if they're not particularly um, highlighted in a way that naturally demands coming from the middle tier they, they feel lost and, and senior leaders really want to kind of showcase what's going well and other schools want to learn from so that's a quick run through from the kind of system and individual level. That's brilliant. Yeah, thanks so much indeed, Ali. Yeah, I mean, I certainly found it a really a useful way of structuring uh, those resources in the context of um, those um, with a system focus and those uh, of an individual focus, and the way that you've broken them down um, with it, you know, under those headings, just in terms of developing my own thinking um, uh, and developing my response to quite a large body of evidence. Um, so, so that's really helpful for me. Um, anybody want to come in there and, uh, and just respond to uh, to some of those resources that have been identified? Just first of all, I think it's so um, positive and important that we're actually having the conversation that the, this work is actually taking place because the issues that have been highlighted have been issues that have um, been apparent for years and years and years, and we're all we all as leaders speak about them constantly when we all get together. Um, However, very rarely do we ever think of solutions for them because it, it just seems an impossible task. So I think it's firstly important that we um, recognise and acknowledge that through the conversations that we're having and through this paper, that we are making those early steps in trying to um, address, address some of the very real issues that are having very real consequences and let's face it, at the end of the day, on individuals' lives. So, you know, I, I, I think this work is, is really, really important. With regards to the way it's all been organised and synthesised, because um, by reading the paper, it's very apparent that there's a lot of, of research um, that's gone on with the question of lots of, of responses in, in many different ways. Um, but it has been created and organised and presented in a way that's very palatable. You know, it, it's, it, it makes sense. And in these days, anything that you can read that makes sense to you pretty straight, straight away is, I can tell you, very welcome. Because uh, as, as leaders, we're all dealing with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and I'm not giving you, and thousands of words um, at the moment uh, whilst we're going through, through this uh, reform. So from, from a practical way, um, I think the way it's been presented is, is excellent. For me, one of the threads that, uh, that obviously comes, comes through the, the section of the report and indeed through the report as a whole is, is that concept of compassionate leadership. Um, Adrian, I wonder if you could just, just reflect on that for us and perhaps just share your, your experiences in that field. Um, yeah, really happy to. Um, just picking up on, on uh, Ali and Catherine's thoughts before, um, before I start ranting about compassionate leadership. Um, I mean, I think this is every time I come to this conversation, it just reminds me how similar the, the themes are between health and education. Um, you know, in, in a way, we probably shouldn't, or I shouldn't be surprised because psychologically, the workforce is very similar. You know, that they, they are a workforce driven by intrinsic values and motivations. 
they they come to make a difference. They come to with expectations of around creating change, and you know, often their self worth and sense of purpose is linked to that ability. And uh, I think it's it's an important distinction to make about health and education as separate to other industries. Um, you know, I completely agree that where we are now within education, um, like health, is a long time coming. This is not a, a pandemic issue. Pandemics made it more complicated, but it's not necessarily brought about something new. Um, and I guess as we move towards understanding the beast and making sense of it, of it, looking at the demands and the resources, just a really useful paradigm for trying to get a bit of a strategic handle on this. Um, and, and you know, we're doing the same in health. Um, and of course, it has a, a sound theoretical evidence as well. So that's useful. I, I guess ultimately, as, as we move forward, um, just wanting to do the right thing is not enough. It has to be a strategic change in direction. There has to be a strategic plan moving us forward. Um, otherwise, as Catherine says, things are just too busy. Things are just, there's just too much going on to hold on to these threads. So really welcome the report and its its kind of strategic focus. Um, shifting to compassionate leadership, obviously a, a, a quite a big thing in, in, in the NHS at the moment, both uh, across all, all four nations. Um, I guess there's a central dilemma around compassionate leadership. I remember starting to run Kind of confidences and workshops about five, six years ago, trying to introduce the idea of, of how to maintain compassion in threat rich systems. Because the, the ultimate problem is that people who work in these systems are desperate to do the right thing, don't necessarily um, feel good when they can't. Um, we're told to be compassionate to each other and to our, our clients. Uh, um, but it's a very difficult thing to do simply because the systems are so stressful and so demanding of everyone's resources. So to be compassionate um, at a time of almost constant crisis is the challenge. So I think it, in, in how we develop that going forward, we absolutely have to focus on the individual resources. So we have to support individuals to develop their own resources to keep their heads above water and potentially even thrive, and then they will may you know they may well then have resources to be compassionate. But we have to also look at the systems within which they work to build in some of the foundations and repair some of the foundations to build um, compassionate cultures. So, so this again is is a major undertaking which we will be looking at going forward. But is it's a these are small steps towards a strategic endpoint. I said I'd rant, so apologies for that. You're ranting about something that's really, really important to rant about. So I think ranting should be allowed about this. Absolutely excusable. Thank you. Chris? Yeah, it's, it's great to hear Adrian talking about the parallels that he perceives between health and education. You know, part of it was a sort of instinct that we had that that was true that brought us to invite uh, Ali and Adrian and Ben from that health background to come and, come and lend us their expertise and experience, if you like not just their clinical expertise, but also the experience of having uh, tried to tackle some of these issues in the health sector uh, uh, in, in, in recent times. And, and I suppose that's part of the, the history of this project. Is It has its roots in that experience in, in health. 
you know, I'd echo some of the comments that uh, that colleagues have made about the paper. It does do a great job of of dealing with all of that complexity, marshalling the existing evidence, but also bringing new insight and giving us some practical ways forward. You know, um, and 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 that's really as a as a leadership academy what we're what we're doing with it now. Uh, what Catherine describes as a, a consensus that something needs to be done to doing something. Uh, and that's just, just, that's just the starting point. It's the first step, uh, uh, in that journey. But I think already, uh, Ali's paper and some of the other work that we're doing is, uh, bearing some fruit. You know, a dialogue certainly now exists around this topic with Welsh government and with partners in the middle tier, uh, and the well-being of educational leaders specifically as discrete from well-being more broadly, which I think has had a, a, a broader, uh, uh, traction in the system for longer is is now happening. You know, at one level, um, you could say uh, what I'm about to say is merely a piece of paper, but well-being is now part of the Leadership Academy's formal remit from Welsh Government. And that, to me, uh, at a symbolic level, uh, says something about the seriousness that Welsh Government is taking the issue and, you know, that they've They've given our organisation the task of doing something about it. So I think that's a really positive thing. And then on a on a practical level, um, you know, having established that dialogue, uh, there are some um, there are some straightforward things that we've started to be able to do. Um, for example, we're talking to providers now about the possibilities of thinking about procuring a compassionate leadership programme, as Ali mentioned. Clearly, that's um, a process that needs to bring all of that health expertise uh, that I that I spoke about at the beginning into play. But it it looks like that's going to be something that we can make some good progress on. the The other thing that we're we're doing is um, a really detailed audit of existing provision for well being for educational leaders. You know, there is a huge amount out there, uh, and it's very difficult to either know whether it covers the right kinds of areas and clearly Ali's work uh, gives us a lot of um, a lot of information to help us come to those kinds of judgments but it's also the quality of that provision is unclear and that's another area where we've been working with Adrian and his teams on starting to think about quality assurance measures for some of that work. So there are huge complexities at play and what I've spoken about so far are just starting points in terms of making some practical progress. But the way that this issue is framed in the paper, I think, is being really helpful in 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 making a link from, you know, acknowledging the complexity, looking at the evidence, but then moving towards some way of, of uh, making some progress. Thanks, Chris. I think one of the things um, in that struck, struck me as well around the compassionate leadership part of this is that um, really what, what a lot of senior leaders spoke about was not a need for something extra or um, an additional kind of piecemeal um, part of something to be different or offered, but actually a, a, a systemic change, a culture shift was mentioned in a number of um, a number of the conversations, and that that's kind of fundamentally one of the rationales for looking at something like a compassionate leadership program, which absolutely has a very clear handle on. Um, exactly why and how to implement a culture change and, and that's kind of 
right deep in the underbelly of education rather than a particular class or a particular offering or a particular workshop, although those constituent parts may be useful. Um, so really it was about kind of almost running fingers through everything that's there, every, every core part of the, um, of the institution. Um, Adrian, did you want to come in there? Yeah, just picking up on Ali's point, I think there's something really, there's something, I think it's really important to kind of, um, I, I guess as becoming much more, uh, um, strategic about this, uh, I think it's so easy to talk about cultural change, isn't it? And need a different culture, uh, and, and, you know, and, but actually in my experience, it is probably the most difficult thing to do in any large system. Um, mostly because it, it's, it's entirely dependent upon the emotional state of the people who hold the culture. So I think, you know, looking forward, there are, you know, there is this kind of two, well, it's probably more than two prongs, but there's a, certainly a prong around how do we develop our leaders to have to be able to have the capacity to sustain compassion in a psychologically evidenced way. So we, we hold that idea, you know, currently, uh, NHS is is promoting the uh, um, compassionate leadership uh, model. Uh, of course, um, what people don't often realise is it's uh, underpinned by a, a psychological model called the um, self determination theory. Um, so forget Maslow. It, it, this is a, a more recent and, and better um, and more evidence model. So it, it asks, it recognises that people need kind of three areas of of um, experience be able to sustain themselves that the compassionate that has been bolted on interestingly assuming that if people's core conditions are met they can be compassionate what we're missing is a actually another angle theoretical angle which is um comes from the, the kind of theory of paul gilbert um who's a psychologist in in, in derby that talks about the kind of evolutionary basis for compassion and how we need to regulate our emotions in our systems in order to protect that capacity. I could, I could rant on about that, but I won't. So, so we need some resource to help our leaders understand that and do it. So that to me is an experiential based resource, but we also need to know that our systems often make it very difficult to do that. And, and in a way, by, and this is what we've done with it in Iron Bevan is we've used our leaders as a bit of a Trojan horse for social change. Um, so you go in and you, you support those that are interested and willing to become the agents for cultural and social change. And you slowly use that mechanism to change the cultures within which they work. I don't think there's another way of doing it. Um, again, interesting learning from, from, from health. Um, but you ha- people have to believe it, live it and believe it. It's hearts and minds. And then, because they then go back into the, in, into the war zone and they have to live it. And that's where these things break down. So in any form of resource, if we're going to put into this needs to be considered over time and needs to be considered based upon the evidence we have, sound psychological evidence, um, but also having a, a slightly cunning strategic <laughs> social change agenda as well, which will probably take 10 years. That's, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. Here's hoping. Um, Catherine? Yeah, it, it will take a long time. If, if we just think about well-being in, in our schools generally, um, where you can go back a number of years where it's always been present, of course it has. 
but it was definitely um, um, a lesson, perhaps, um, that our timetabled in a way. With the current curriculum, um, we've got our four purposes, and well-being is very much a driver in our schools at the moment. Uh, it's at the heart of everything we do. Um, now, it's taken a few years for us to get there. And I think the same is going to be true with regards to really considering the well-being of leaders. So it is going to take um, a good few years, I think, for it to, to become a real thing, for that cultural shift to happen, where we really do consider well-being of, of leaders as, as a real thing, rather than something, as Ali um, alluded to, something that sort of is, is, a, is a boat on. I think... What you just said, Adrian, was really interesting because I really believe that for anything, any program, anything to do with compassionate leadership to really gain traction and have an impact on leaders, there needs to be a systemic change and, for, um, and not only a systemic, a systemic change in, in attitude. Um, and, you know, that has an implication on demands. Um, also, I said heavy there, which is the Welsh word. Um, but also, but we need to trust that. We need to, we need to trust that, um, the, the system really is, um, looking at this in a strategic way and, and, and planning for it. Um, and, and that's also, um, going to take years because, uh, as, as everybody, uh, has referred to, um, you know, we, we can, we can engage as leaders in, in, a, a compassionate leadership program, but as soon as you're back, um, you know, back on that treadmill, it's really hard um, because actually the time that you've engaged in that compassionate leadership program, for example, has not actually had a very good impact on your well-being because when you when you get back to your um, to your to your place of work, you very much feel as if as if you're catching up, and that's not because of any. Uh, lack of organisation or lack of structure with, within your your school, but it's more to do with with, with the workload and the overwhelming um, um, pressures and, and stresses uh, that leaders in education um, are, are dealing with uh, at the current time. I notice um, that the uh, you know the report talks a lot about uh, suggested resources to to meet demand, and um, obviously we've looked at some of those already. Um, but I, I also noticed that it stopped short of making specific recommendations. Was there any um, reason, particularly for for doing that or doing it in that way? I guess one of the one of the ideas behind that was that um, you know as soon as you use the word recommendations, it can be kind of restrictive. It can look very definite. And whilst this report spent time um, engaging with um, understanding what the difficulties were and kind of coming up with some ideas that were psychologically going forward actually what matters most is that they are um, ideas that work for the institution within which they exist and therefore there's a kind of next piece of work really to look at what makes sense what fits and for people beyond this report to um, with more expertise and experience in the in the area to look at um, where the priorities are and I think it's you know it's it's fairly easy to kind of run through what the issues are once you have these conversations with leaders and kind of done a bit of research into it um, we can fairly easily come up with quite a long list I think there's now a kind of next stage of work we need to be looking um, at picking 
wisely and thinking about where the priorities are so that things can be embedded in a meaningful way um, because a longer term vision is really key to this and it would be a real waste I think if a couple of ideas were kind of quickly plucked but then not embedded and um, it links a bit actually into some of the underlying principles that we spoke about in the report so as much as what um, might, the diff- might the resources be actually how they're implemented is really important and that absolutely came through um, through the voices of senior leaders that people had been to workshops that in theory might be useful, but they were at the wrong time or they're at the right time, but they didn't cover something that actually felt like they equipped them to do their role. So really understanding um, how things are um, implemented is really key. So it, it was interesting to me that people spoke about wanting um professionals from external bodies to come and do things so they often felt skilled in education but you know external expertise was valued people spoke about um valuing relationships and process over outcome and accountability which was so often a part of the work and and really beautifully actually these the underlying principles that were kind of formed based on these views absolutely fit alongside compassionate leadership ideas so things like um, interventions that really sit alongside the values of an organisation um, or input that's really clearly articulated to the role but then works practically um, or resources that are one-off but then embedded in practice so really um, set into a culture of an organisation and followed through not one-off things that, that have very little impact 6, 12, 18 months further down the line There's an irony isn't it that the, the in a, in a a sector of work which is heavily targeted or has targets and lots of top-down guidance and demands. Um, if we were to introduce recommendations, they may simply just become another KPI, um, and I think that would be a mistake. Um, and we're also, as Ali said, at a stage where the, you know the, we've approached this with a scientific method. There's going to be some art in the interpretation of this locally, and picking up. So, so in a way, what we were trying to aim for is a signpost directing traffic as opposed to being specific about how, you know, how long it would take to get there. Um, because, you know, you, you are trying to corral and motivate and engage a really diverse work group across a nation. Re- imposing recommendations, I think, would be a mistake at this point. I guess if you were to push and to say, well, we do need a recommendation. My take would be, well, the recommendations would be we need to adopt a strategic position on well-being um, for the medium and long term. But that's pretty high level. So that's essentially what we're trying to do. I think. Yeah, I think the um, the observation that there needs to be um, a strategic level commitment to well-being in order to bring about the sort of cultural change that we all, I think, agree is necessary to make. Uh, real long-term change happen is, is, is the right one. Um, you know, we, we can think about compassionate leadership programs or audits of provision or um, individual initiatives like that. But actually, what needs to happen is the policy context needs to have a well-being lens placed over it while it's being developed. You know, so the next initiative off the conveyor belt needs to take into account the implications on the well-being of the leaders in the system for it to see the light of day. That's the kind of thing that we need to see happening. And, you know, that kind of thing is what would also need to make 
that kind of initiative like the Compassionate Leadership Program truly work? Because you can have more compassionate, more resilient uh, individuals um, uh, exhibiting different kinds of behaviours, but unless the context of those behaviours are set in changes, then they're likely, as Catherine said, to disappear with good intentions quite quickly. Absolutely agree with everything Chris just said. Whilst sort of this gains traction at the strategic policy level, I think there's there's plenty that we can do on on the ground uh, as a leadership academy. And quite simply, we need we need to be talking about this. We need to be um, discussing the fact that well our well being as leaders is important, and we shouldn't feel guilty about saying that. We shouldn't feel guilty about expressing ourselves and saying, do you know what? This is really tough at the moment and reaching out. Um, and any time that we do spend uh, understanding uh, compassionate leadership, for example, better in the long run will be time well spent. Um, and we absolutely should not be feeling guilty about that. Let's not let this go without saying that at the heart of this, we're focusing on ensuring senior leaders are valued and sufficiently equipped to enact the roles to the best of their ability and and that's at the heart of this report which which really comes from the demand senior leaders have spoken about directly and we know that to not do that will have a really detrimental impact on colleagues on quality of education on the young people that they serve so there's a real kind of motivator outlined by these senior leaders experiences i think to um create quite an urgent but potentially exciting call for change but however the ideas are taken forward it's that that's at the heart of it picking up on the kind of um reality check that we're all tuning into which is the you know, the need for change and the need to be cautious you know more than just a sticking bar thing is a great type of kind of create that it's a metaphor isn't it it's a really powerful message um so so this is the beginning although this work has been clearly in progress for some time. A, 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 another kind of metaphor, maybe it's not a metaphor, but it, it, it's kind of an idea which I think we've only starting to grasp in health is the, the idea that the, the, the working experience, um, and, and, and now I, it's like a 360 degree, uh, you know, view around you is, is inherently psychosocially hazardous. You know, that often people go, what do you mean by that? It's a wonderful job, you know, but actually the environment people work in, um, unless they're, they're understood accurately and there are measures in place to help protect people and sustain them, they will inevitably experience some form of harm. Now that's a bit controversial, but actually all you need to do is look at the data, you know, that, that certainly within health, rates of, uh, of burnout, rates of Turnover, you know, 25 to 30 percent of the workforce. This is coming from the NHS England survey, thinking about retiring. Now, these are not; these are big numbers. These are scary factors that we can't ignore. Um, and in you, all you have to do is turn the clock back 30 years to just before the HSE introduced its kind of um, approach to stress and was focusing on some of the physical hazards in many industries. You know, before legislation came into place to protect the workforce in heavy industry, people were, were being, were dying and being maimed regularly because of the work. Now, our work is different, but inherently there are threats and there are dangers that are not being acknowledged 
which are playing out daily and and you know we've just got used to them and i think if we are brave enough to say look this work yes there is a high moral cause yes there is a you know there's a, a kind of invisible threat but it's no less dangerous um we have to respond systematically uh, and strategically to it otherwise well we know what the problem is it's not going to go away yeah i'm just reminded when adrian was talking about the sort of looming recruitment and retention crisis in health that is very familiar to us particularly in leadership in in education and of course the 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 most important thing here in this conversation is about the sort of human impact of of stress and, and well-being but you know we've also spoken about the need for this this uh, issue to be accepted at a strategic policy level. So the, the dimension around performance is is not as important, but it is important in that conversation. You know, we know, we hear about leadership being a key enabling driver of change in the national mission, and and, and in some senses, uh, educational leadership is spoken about the sort of as a sort of fulcrum of that national mission. Well, you know, if that precious precious public resource is not looked after. Then the ambitious reform agenda that we've got is, is likely to fail as well. So it's a sort of, um, it's a, it's a strategic policy level risk as well as a much more important risk to the individual people and their teams and their communities that they are, that they are responsible for as well. So I, I think that sort of performance dimension as well as the humanitarian dimension is, is something that we need to keep in mind. Okay, so I think we're going to leave it there. I'd like to thank you all for um, coming along this morning and for taking part in this conversation. I think the ease with which we've been able to discuss to discuss in substantial depth the um, evidence from um, the report and the implications of it are testament to the uh, the quality of that report, Ali. So we're very grateful to you for um, you know for bringing that to us and obviously for um, expressing some really uh, complex. Um, and important concepts in, in such an easy and accessible way. But I think as well, uh, you know, it's worth um, just uh, you know noting the importance of that report to the profession as a whole. Um, it's clear in the conversations that I've had, um, you know, how the well-being of uh, school leaders at the moment is is at the forefront of, of many minds. And I think this is a really important piece of work in bringing that to the attention um, of, of those who do create policy. Um, and uh, you know, who can uh, can consider the resources that you've identified, and hopefully, um, you know, start to have an impact moving forward. So I'm very grateful to you. And I'm very grateful to those of you who joined us um, across this series of podcasts, um, and we look forward to seeing the work of the Leadership Academy developing as a result. Thanks, Ian, Bennett, Adrian, and I have really enjoyed working on this with the Leadership Academy. Bod wedi mwyn hair bennod hon o bodlediad yr Academy Arwynyddiaeth. Tan ysgrifiwch ar Spotify, podlediadau Apple neu Google a pheidiwch byth â cholli penod. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Academy podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode.